RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Dr. Peter A. McCullough is a cardiologist, epidemiologist, chief scientific officer of the wellness company. Since the outset of the pandemic, as you well know, many of you, Dr. McCullough has um, dozens of peer-reviewed publications on the infection and has commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis globally. And Dr. McCullough has been on our program twice already back in April and July, and we thought it would be a good time to invite him back on for a general update, but in particular to explain two pieces of research that caught our attention. Dr. McCullough, welcome back to Reality Check Radio. Nice to have you again. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, first thing um, we wanted to uh, find out about, and that's a piece of research from Crossan and colleagues, and it shows that the mRNA from the vaccine is, and I've got the quote here, stuck in the heart. That sounds scary. Can you inform us more about that, please? Crossan and colleagues from Harvard analyzed uh, autopsy tissue from the heart in those who died after the vaccine, and they devised a way of actually measuring whether or not the vaccine was physically in the heart muscle tissue. They could identify Pfizer and Moderna. And sure enough, there it was. It was in the heart tissue. And when they found it, it, it had surrounding inflammation. Now, they didn't have a very good test for the spike protein and presume the spike protein produced from the messenger RNA was right there. And uh, so there it is. It's it's as clear as we can get. It's causing inflammation in the heart. The inflammation in the heart causes a fatal cardiac arrest. And then people die. And that's what's found at autopsy. When you heard about that, what was your reaction? Yeah, I had thought that that was the case. It was confirmatory. We learned more that they only looked out the 30 days. It was unclear if it persisted more than 30 days, and it wasn't there in every person. So another autopsy paper comes into view, Schwab and colleagues, showing that it's really those who had a sore arm that there was some inflammation in the heart at the time of death. So I've learned from those two papers. I always ask people if they've had a sore arm when they took the shot, did they have any symptoms or not? The sore arm could be a proxy for whether or not the heart's been involved. And what is the proportion of, yes, I had a sore arm, you know, in the answers that you've you've got? It's about two-thirds. Oh, really? Okay. So um, this explains then the um, uh, the many cases of heart-related issues related to mRNA. This is obviously a um, bit of a smoking gun, right? Well, it's sure there's a spectrum. Now, two papers, Mansugian and Buren, and then a supportive paper by Levi, uh, they show that the rate of bona fide heart damage that will put you in the hospital per shot is 2.5%. Now, there's a broader group of people that, uh, you know, they don't have such a severe syndrome, but their heart is pounding. They have some chest pain, the blood pressure up and down. That group is much broader. Uh, that could be even a third of, of, of people. There's a recent paper demonstrating that about a third of people who take the shot are so sick they can't go to work the next day. And there's probably some heart involvement there. 
And then there are other fractions, but there are clearly people who took the shot and, and they don't sense anything is wrong with their heart. And then the first manifestation of something wrong is a cardiac arrest. And when the cardiac arrest occurs, let's say during sports, about a third of the time, uh, it, the patients can be saved with uh, CPR and shocking the heart. But about two thirds of the time, they can't be saved. These are these are shocking revelations, aren't they? they? I mean, it's bigger than possibly anyone thought, sounds to me. They are. I mean, p- people are, in a sense, in a panic right now. They've taken the shots. They have have great regret. They're seeing cardiac arrests at unprecedented numbers, young people, public figures. Uh, and then, you know, we, we see something else out there in the media. We see deaths of people that are just unexpected when we don't mm. get any other details. No. Just that, you know, they died uh, and this wasn't expected. Well, let me say before the pandemic, about 40 percent of deaths uh, are just known of people at the end of life due to known heart disease. 40% are known cancer, people with terminal cancer, and they die. And then 20% are known other causes, a, a motor vehicle accident, a homicide, suicide, a drug overdose. But death is almost always, in all cases, known. It's explained. So prior to the pandemic, we would get a death notice that would come by the internet or by some other source and, and say, they, uh, so it's, you know, this is in memoriam to, uh, you know, so and so. And they died after a long battle of cancer, or someone so died after complications after cardiac surgery. But now we're hearing report after report, death completely, they're perfectly fine, and then they die. They die, you know, on their wedding night, or they die at work or during a sports game. And so I led a team, uh, it's a senior author, Nick Holsher was the first author, and we gathered every single autopsy ever published, every single report. And we coalesced the data, collated the data, uh, created uh, data extraction sheets. Had a so we had a standard search a, a process called Prisma. We had a standard adjudication process. Three experienced reviewers reviewed all the data. People had been in the cardiac pathology laboratory, and then we had to uh, agree. You know, was it due to the vaccine or not? And the answer was because case by case you can't see a pattern, but if we look. When they're gathered up, this is 328 cases in this study. The answer was 73.9% of the time, the vaccine was the direct cause of death or contributed to it significantly. So it was a clear vaccine blood clot, a a clear vaccine stroke or myocarditis, etc. And then another, you know, 26.1% of the time, it wasn't. It was somebody who you know, had a clear other explanation. You couldn't ascribe it to the vaccine. So as we sit here today, it's it's fair to say that the next death that comes along, it is the vaccine until proven otherwise. Now, if someone says, listen, they didn't take the vaccine or they had a long history of antecedent cancer, then we can kind of uh, rule out the vaccine. But the, the next case that we see coming up, this happens in United States, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, the Europe, we should look at that and understand the Holsher data. It's very important. Nick Holsher, graduate student at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. I'm a graduate there. His research has just been vetted now by the review committee, and it's had a, a, a poster, uh, you know, abstract poster review. So this is legit. It's under review at the major peer-reviewed uh, journals right now. It's on the European Commission server. 
This is legit. The next person that dies now, it is the vaccine. And, and you know, these vaccines should have been pulled off the market a long time ago. We can't have people taking a vaccine and dying. That's, that's unacceptable. We're still promoting the boosters here, Dr. McCullough, still promoting them quite heavily, actually. Any uh, any update, Paul, on what the percent take rate is on that? Um, hard to get a fix on that, but I think it's reasonable compared to other countries. So we're still sort of throwing ourselves at it because I know it's single figures percentage wise, isn't it, in the U.S. now? Um, you know, I our think CDC we're, we're, has always grossly that. overestimated this. We, our data are not trustable from our CDC, and they've never uh, released the data so we can independently e- evaluate it. So uh, Reuters AP. October 4th had us at 1.3%. I just checked the CDC website, and um, maybe that's still up. Uh, They have a much higher number now. Uh, Let's see if I can uh, bring it into view. But it's still, um, you know, it still is, let's say, 10% according to the CDC. Um, It's not, you know, for a vaccine program, it's not enough to make an impact. Put it that way. Well, we've so, got a you know, we, we've got a wave coming through, and it's you know the, it's the fifth wave, and the um, call for boosters is coming on the back of that, and people are obviously masking up more than they were. So that is the fear response is to kind of um, follow the official line, but but not to the scale it used to be. One thing we do know for sure is a lot more ambulances on the road, a lot more rescue helicopters flying in, and hospitals absolutely chocker full like they've never been before but there's kind of nothing to see there at the same time well you know know, there's been some declarative papers there was one from australia that came out it said there's no increase in cardiac arrests and they you know it was a um and paper wasn't valid. It was just, uh, in a sense, looking at annual death rates, and they didn't have complete reporting, et cetera. But why would they have that declarative title? Uh, there's no increase in death rates. Well, who said there was? Um, yep. There was a recent paper in circulation did the same thing in athletes. Oh, there's no increase in death rates in athletes. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. You know, they're, it's the quiet they're, they're part using out loud. all these different yep. tricks. Uh, you know, during COVID, a lot of the sports teams were inactive. So they, they counted, you know, per active year of participation, all the rest of this stuff. So the bottom line is uh, there's there are no reassuring data here. Yeah. And the deaths are very real. The published studies are real. There's over uh, uh, 3,400 peer-reviewed papers on fatal and non-fatal vaccine injury syndrome. So this idea of, oh, nothing to see here. There's even, again, these papers that's, that declare there's nothing to see here. <laughs> It's um, they're simply at this point in time have to be discarded. We've got a major biological product safety catastrophe on our hands and we need to we need to face reality. So catastrophe is the word, isn't it? I mean, 73 percent. You just mentioned there two thirds. I mean, this is this is huge. It's ginormous. Dennis uh, Rancourt, epidemiologist from Montreal, just presented in uh, Poland. Uh, where they deliberated on this, and and he presented his data. His paper is very clear. The estimates are 17 million people worldwide have died of the vaccine. I would call that a catastrophe of major yeah. proportions. Yeah, that's an entire nation's population in a way. Um, and we have figures coming out this week, which apparently will show us 
excess deaths with um, um, added data of who's been vaccinated, who hasn't. And that is going to be, that's the whisper, I don't know, but that is going to be very informing. And we've had a change of government, which is now talking about a full and open inquiry into the whole thing. So the winds of change have come through. Let's see what happens. That other study, the Nakahara study showing cardiac PET scans. Now, PET scans, I think, are usually related to cancer, aren't they? Um, right. Right. So, so, so these what, were people getting PET. Yeah, these, Paul, these are people getting PET scans for cancer. Nakahara from Japan, but there was also Jagat Narula from uh, University of Texas at Houston. So it's a Japanese U.S. project. 700 vaccinated. 300 unvaccinated, people getting PET scans for other reasons, but they had cardiac imaging. So you could actually look at the heart. Now, right. the heart normally takes up free fatty acids, so it does not take up the radioactive 18-fluorodeoxyglucose. That's a diseased pattern. And sure enough, the unvaccinated, the hearts looked clean. They looked fine. The vaccinated patients, they were all taking up 18-FDG to some uh, you know, to some degree or another, the, the median split on this was wide. Again, those who had a sore arm had even more intensive uptake into the heart, but nearly everybody had an abnormal heart scan out to 18 months. So I can tell you this message, it fits with the data I presented. The, the messenger RNA is in the heart. The spike proteins are in the heart. And it's, I think it's a Russian roulette on who's the next person to drop. From what you hear, the people you talk with, the extensive networks you have, what are what are the people who should be feeling pretty awkward about this now saying? Is there any sense that, you know, the dam will burst or that people are going to start to try and get ahead of this and come clean at some point? Because there's only so long you can go in the current sort of pattern, isn't there? You know, there's been a broad kind of email out to the American College of Cardiology who last fall had a position paper saying that the risks outweighed the benefits and and, uh, you know, they falsely claim that, that SARS-CoV-2 infection caused more COVID-19 than the vaccine. So therefore, we should give the vaccine and cause more myocarditis. I mean, the most ridiculous logic I've ever heard. Um, and, uh, you know, they've been broadly messaged saying, listen, you know, change your statement here. We can't have cardiology societies uh, supporting giving a vaccine that causes heart damage. Um you know, I recently wrote a substack about the vaccine clearly will initiate and promote multiple sclerosis because it gets in the brain. And the Multiple Sclerosis Society of last summer says, take vaccines and take boosters. And no, no, we can't have societies, you know, you know, who are supposed to be the, the uh, you know, the, the guardians of this disease category promoting more disease. And then lastly, the National Institutes of Health has been broadly messaged. Uh, I'm on a couple of those emails, and we keep going back and forth and just keep, you know, explaining. Most of the time, they're just dead silent. And I, I think part of this is um, most of them took the vaccine. They're scared to death themselves. They don't want to face the reality of what's in their body. And B, they're still towing this line. They're, they're in this fear-driven state where they're waiting for somebody of a higher level in the chain of command to finally tell them to drop the vaccines. And, you know, I've told the U.S. Uh, in the U.S. Senate, I said drop the vaccines. The European Parliament, uh, recently in the Brazilian Chamber of Deputies, the lower house of the U.K. Parliament next week, wow. uh, World Council for Health says 
Drop the Vaccines, their evidence-based, consensus-driven association of American physicians and surgeons. I think there's going to be just more and more groups come on saying, listen, we don't support the vaccines. we got to pull them off the market. One thing that we've uh, discovered here just in the last short time, and I'm just wondering if it matches up with um, the situation in the U.S. and in other jurisdictions, and it's become apparent that our drug-authorizing body, MedSafe, actually receives 80% of its funding from pharma. 80%. In fact, 85%. So that probably doesn't come as much as a a surprise as it maybe would to, to some people, to you. Um, well, but you this know, previously, to be the, the, the companies used to pay these application fees and the agencies would deliberate on the products. And many times that the products wouldn't get approved. But with vaccines, it looks like vaccine is synonymous with corruption. And with vaccines, they're just getting a green light on everything. You know, the, mo- the most recent uh, U.S. boosters had no human data at the time of approval. They just were tested in a few uh, rats and they've always been behind they're not, uh, they're not uh, you know, dealing with the most current variant. So it looks like the agencies now are completely corrupt. They're not trustable. So everything really needs to be rebuilt from the, from the ground up, does it? We have to have a house cleaning for sure. It's not all bad people in these agencies, but the people at the top have to go. Uh, you know, I think we need fundamental reforms in vaccine legislation. The vaccine manufacturers have to be held liable for all the damages that happen. They can't have immunity. Uh, That's been a huge part of the problem. We've talked to you before, um, when you've been here before, about um, some of the mitigating um, treatments that are out there now, and the wellness company is known for that. Uh, Given the scale of this now, and the way you're kind of advising us or or informing us of the scale of it, uh, that is going to have to be one huge mission, isn't it, to find treatments that can help a huge number of people all at the same time. The Biden administration and HHS have spent a billion dollars trying to address long COVID. Uh, They refuse to recognize the vaccines causing uh, of this this, persistent uh, set of symptoms that are so common. Uh, But in that billion dollars, they came up with no new drugs and no new protocols. Now a paper by Dyaxner and colleagues from Germany, 48,000 Germans, they showed that most of long COVID is actually the vaccine. Yeah, it's not well, the that's virus. what we suspect, right? We've always thought yeah. that pretty well. Right, it's the vaccine. So, um, you know, having said that, you're right. With COVID-19, the illness, at any given time, we only had a small percentage of the population sick. But now with vaccine injury, uh, we have a, a much larger part of the population, more chronically sick all the time. And so that's the reason why myself and my team here in Dallas, we've published two key papers now on what's called base spike protein detoxification. That is a method of dissolving or degrading the spike protein that's stuck in the human body. When you get the infection or you get the vaccine, the spike protein gets in our body, it gets in our organs and tissues. We can't get it out. It's found there every time at autopsy. It's not dissolved by human enzymes or other clearance systems. So we know three natural products do work. They get into the bloodstream. They help greatly. Natokinase, uh, which is uh, derived from the fermentation of soy by a bacteria, Bacillus subtilis natto. Bromelin, a series of enzymes derived from the stems of pineapple. Bromelin is an FDA-approved drug as an ointment, by the way, and, and it's anti-infective. It's used in, in wound management, so we know it's biologically active. 
And then curcumin derived from turmeric in, in you know, higher doses with absorptive adjuncts. Uh, curcumin is anti-inflammatory and, you know, that's even been tested in randomized trials of humans with long COVID. It, it, make, it has an impact. So three natural substances, natokinase, 2,000 units twice a day, bromelain, 500 milligrams a day, curcumin, 500 milligrams, three times a day. That trio is out there. It's offered by a lot of different sources now, huge worldwide demand on it. Wellness Company was first to the table with spike support, which is nanokinase and five minor um, uh, you know, supporting ingredients. And now they have a trio with uh, you know full-dose bromelain and curcumin. And we're finding it takes three, six, nine months to turn people around, but they do get better. Some people get a little shakier. They get a little worse for a few weeks, probably as the medicinal effects of the products uh, set in. There are no large randomized prospective, double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trials, so I can't make therapeutic claims, but I can tell you in my practice, people are getting better. They just have to be patient as they go through the detoxification process. So just to let you know, FYI, about three weeks ago, our MedSafe uh, gave full approval for the Comanate vaccine for children and 12 plus. So it has full approval here now. So we just keep well, digging. Listen, the if it's back. full approval, then it should be bought and sold as a commercial product. The government shouldn't be buying it. You know, yeah. if it's fully approved, the government doesn't, you know, doesn't buy other things. So, you know, it's still vaccines are given some type of special privilege and they shouldn't be. They should be treated like an antibiotic or any other type of medicinal agent. Well, that was based still on no actual data. So that's a, an interesting one. How big do you think this will end up, just to wrap up, uh, Dr. McCullough, how big do you think this will end up being, you know, um, I mean, it's obviously probably one of the, what, uh, most epic medical or drug failures in the history that we have already. But just with the number of people, I mean, 95% here took this thing. I mean, that's virtually the entire population, you know? We, we can't possibly know. We do know all-cause mortality is skyrocketing in every life insurance company report, uh, all the the national statistics. Uh, the average age of someone dying after the vaccine is 48. Uh, that's been shown in a paper by Mark Skidmore and colleagues. United States, our estimates are multiple sources coming in, probably about 600,000 American lives lost. Uh, we know worldwide, probably 17 million. Uh, you know, we're, we're not as heavily vaccinated as you you are. In the United States, uh, COVID states project, Harvard and North Northeastern, uh, estimated 75% of adults took the shot 25 percent didn't i didn't take it thank yeah. goodness i don't i'm not worried about blood clots and myocarditis day by day but the people who have taken the shots they're starting to get very very worried uh because these these health events keep coming up time after time and a lot of parents have had their kids um take the shot too and that's an even heavier thing to bear i, I would think yeah, you can imagine the guilt that's ultimately going to come down and parents and their children, parents and their grandparents, um, you know, employers and their employees, school presidents and their students, and then ultimately to the, the heads of state. Remember, remember Jacinda Ardern yeah. in New Zealand, this effectively this no jab, no no job policy. I mean, you, you know, people are going to remember this. 
former President Trump uh, has always said, and he stuck to his guns on this, he never would have mandated the vaccine. Never. Yeah. He said that from the very beginning. And if the vaccine was never mandated, I, I honestly think we, we'd ha- be having a much different conversation now. Yeah. Yeah, it was that um, that fear motivation that that really got people that they were worried about losing their livelihoods, et cetera. Right, Dr. McCullough, great to catch up with you again. Thank you for telling us about those two developments, those two studies as they relate to cardiac issues. And uh, we'll keep uh, an eye on what you say, and hopefully we can chat again sometime. Okay, thanks for having me back. Rational discussion, common sense, open debate, RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. <laughs>